Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Hey guys, with sports betting season in full force with football here, you need a sports book with integrity and longevity like BetUS. You may already know this, but BetUS has been pioneers in the sports book industry for almost three decades, thriving and paying their loyal customer base. That is BETUS.com, and they have loads of bonuses. Join now or call 1 800 69 BetUS. That is 800 MyBetUS. You receive 125% sign up bonus by using bonus. Code SST 125. That's SST 125. They have re up and referral bonuses. Also, BetUS is known among America's favorite sports book for lots of reasons. Bet on team and player props, loads of NFL futures, UFC matches, PGA golf, live betting on most sports. The online casino has hundreds of games. The race books has all the horse tracks. They have every bet type imaginable. Follow my lead and get your phone, online, and sports betting partner with integrity and longevity like I did. BetUS, you bet you win you get paid bet us welcome in everybody chris landry here for scouts eye on college football for this monday october 18th um little tardy apologize it's been really hectic um uh, no excuses just the sometimes priorities have to come in we're are going to be with you. I'm going to be with you two hours here. I'm going to be one hour on this show. Um, we're going to address the latest in college football, what happened this past week. And uh, I don't know how much we'll get a look ahead to this week, but we'll, because the so much has happened this past week, we're going to address the key issues. Um, we are uh, obviously uh, going to go into uh, Georgia's looking good. Iowa's downfall against Purdue again. Uh, Texas bows the lead. Um, Oklahoma looks a little better. The drama that is Ole Miss and Tennessee at home. Um, but obviously going to talk a lot about the Florida situation and the LSU situation as it relates to that game, but a little bit more big picture and what it means, uh, as you obviously know, hopefully you have had a chance to listen to um, – the special SEC football and beyond on Sunday that I did. And what was a very chaotic day to kind of get you caught update on what was going on over at the LSU facility in the morning um, over there. Uh, I'm going to advance some news and notes and give further thoughts about the situation as well. But as we always like to do, remind you of a few things. Uh, you're listening to this. 
in a podcast form. We appreciate you. If you're not, sign up for the Landry Football Podcast channel over at Podcast Park. Um, make sure that um, you sign up for that. Uh, the algorithms, everything that we do in order to do it uh, really depends on that. If you are listening in podcast form, we encourage you to join us as a tape this show live on the Chris Landry Football Twitch channel. Uh, so you can simply go to LandryFootball.com, click on follow Chris on Twitch, and very simple, get there, sign up, and that way you can join us live. That way you can ask us questions inside the chat room. Can answer your questions. It's the way to do it. The show's going live here. We'll get you the information. Um, answer your questions, so on and so forth. Uh, the film room breakdown's a little bit behind on that due to the um, situation at LSU. But a little bit behind. Got the SEC film room breakdowns. You can get that in detail. We'll have all the film room breakdowns, college and the NFL for you so that you can see what happened, why it happened inside the film room from this past weekend's action. Then, of course, we always preview all the games as well inside the film room, giving you a look at what's going on. So make sure that you take advantage, sign up for uh, LandryFootball.com, take advantage of the football season discount. So a bunch to get to today. I'm going to start. with the LSU situation, kind of where I left off yesterday. And I want to – I did the show, quite frankly, kind of hurried, and you can go and listen to it. But it's – Sundays are big for me. Um, NFL games, a lot of responsibilities there. Uh, I'm I'm not complaining. I'm just trying to give you some context. Um, As you probably know – for the past two weeks, we've had games from London. So they're games at, you know, early in the morning, 8 a.m. in the morning, the local time here, kickoff. So watching those games, doing the typical NFL duties, and um, needed to run over, got a call, ran over to the LSU administration building and football ops. Um, called on a brief meeting um, and was made aware of what was going on in terms of a final uh, finalizing the departure papers of Ed Orgeron and um, his tenure at LSU. This was um, a little bit of a surprise to some people um, because they had beaten Florida. And so it doesn't make sense to people. Well, why would you do it then? They just won. Why would you do this on a Sunday? Well, they didn't do it on a Sunday. Um, I'm going to take you through the process of how this has worked out and how we've gotten to this point. I think people are aware that as LSU was winning the national title, 
in 2019, in what was a great year, a magical year, there was um, kind of a uh, off-season of discontent. A lot of players left for the draft, a lot of good players. Coaches left. Quite frankly, some bad hires that coaching hires, replacements for the guys that left, that led to some issues in the operation. And why did you have bad hires? Why did they make certain decisions? It's all part of it. In breaking it down, it was just a bad job from an organizational, uh, a discipline-focused standpoint. Um, you know, it just wasn't paying quite close the attention to details. There were some people that really are influential, were influential in helping him make some good decisions uh, the year before on who to hire. And some of them were not there. And it led to maybe making some decisions that ended up coming back to bite him in the rear. And so it's, I often get asked of, well, what's he getting fired for? You know, and the national narrative is, well, this is ridiculous. He won the national title two years ago. It's not even two full years, and he's getting fired already. It doesn't make sense to people. Well, it wouldn't make sense to anybody if they just knew that. There's been a lot of issues, a a lot of embarrassing, a lot of personal issues. There's a Title IX investigation. There's a litany of issues which are corroborated by deeply investigated, rooted stuff that are disturbing, distracting, and led to a lot of the problems that we're now seeing in the program and the, the byproducts of it. People will say, yeah, if he was winning, it wouldn't matter. You're right. If they had won eight games last year and they only played 10 and they'd be 6-0, and oh, it, none of this would be happening. Because you can deal with distractions. You can deal with problems if you're winning. If you are losing and you have these issues, it's a killer. And particularly when you are losing and it's directly correlated and attached, linked to some of these problems of disorganization, apathy, you know, lack of focus, what have you, then you have what you have. You have a mess. So this has been coming for a while. He was not fired Sunday. The agreement, it started a long time ago. Because of the problems last year and because of the continued issues, they were trying to do their best to put some things in place on the staff, to improve things in last offseason, to make things have a rebound year. There were further issues that took place behind the scenes, and there was a lot of trepidation, but at the same time, some hope that maybe this could be a better year this year. Then we start the season for LSU at UCLA. 
you all know what happened there. It was the performance off the field, on the field, and off the field in the locker room after the game where there were a couple of incidences that clearly sent a signal to the administration. Scott Woodard, there's a new president, more on him, William Tate, that they would need to be prepared that it was no longer a possibility but a probability that they were going to have to make a move on from Ed Orgeron. And so the details of raising money and so that the buyout could be taken place was all beginning to be prepared for in hopes that they would never have to go there, but probably thinking that it looked like it was headed there. Season progresses, not much improvement at all. Play Auburn and what was a struggling Auburn team coming in and Bo Nix goes crazy and wins. It's a not a good look. First time that Auburn's won in Baton Rouge since 1999. Again, not a one game, this is it, the final straw situation. It always is an accumulation of things. And then comes the Kentucky game. And it was a flat-out embarrassing beatdown. It was a uh, bucket of ice water. What was they used to have that 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 ice water challenge, bucket challenge, that that was at a cold ice bucket to the face that this has completely gone off the rails. Kentucky dominated them, embarrassed them. And it was after that game, that week, that Monday, they started to, it was, he was informed that, look, this is, this is not going to work and we're going to move on at the end of the year. We need to come together on how we're going to make this work amicably. And it was into late last week, before the Florida game that um, they'd gotten basically the paperwork done to, to where it was done by Friday. Um, and, and again, the, the whole language and the details, it was, it was done by Friday and, and certainly throughout the course of the week, um, it was done prior to the game. So it was never a case of, well, if they finish strong, if they don't finish strong, um, what are the circumstances? Um, it's just not, not that way. It was, this is where it was headed. And so it was announced after the game, because it had come out, it had, it began to leak. I had heard about it late last week, Friday afternoon. I knew that it was, it was imminent that this was being done. Now, meaning I wasn't a hundred percent sure they were going to announce it on Monday, but my thought was or Sunday as the case were, but that it was pretty obvious that something, something's got to give. This wasn't going to last much longer in terms of keeping it under wraps. The obvious had to come out. Um, Why is Ed Orgeron coaching out the season? People don't understand that. Normally, when you get a head coach that is fired, he's normally replaced by an interim. 
and you cut ties with it. That's that. And certainly, Chris, why would a guy that's had problems off the field, would you want that toxicity, if you want to call it that, still in your operation? Look, let me explain it. They want this to be as amicable as possible. Why? There's investigations going on. You are dealing with a head coach that is a, uh, shall we say, bit of a live wire. There are two ways you can go at it. Chris, why don't they just fire him with cause? There's certainly enough there to fire him with cause. Uh, Excuse me. There is enough there that you would think there is some of a case. I'm not a lawyer. I don't know if it could stand. I don't know what the evidence is. But we know there are things, a lot of things that have taken place. So why not go ahead and fight it? Because here's what it does. It sends a signal to other candidates. Well, they don't want to pay off their – they don't want to pay their coach. They're trying to throw them under the bus. Even though that may not be true, that could be the perception. Two, all the things that are embarrassing for Ed that he was involved in is embarrassing to LSU because he represented the university. So what they decided in the administration is, look, let's make this as amicable as possible. Let's pay him his money with an agreement that he has to, a non-disclosure agreement, everything tied to it, so he has to be on his best behavior, that he can't go off and do things or he could jeopardize that money. And we will make sure that we keep everything in your closet, Ed, in the closet, and you don't, quote-unquote, spill the beans on things that maybe we turned a blind eye to. That would make us look bad. So it's a way to cooperate, work together. And here's the other thing. It creates a positive image for LSU when there's a lot of distractions, when there's a lot of trouble behind the scenes. It creates a... We'll send that out on a goodbye tour. He can coach. He can finish out the season, which he wanted to do. He can collect his money. He can go out as a hero. Look at that. They're firing him, and he's coaching him. He loves LSU. He lo- All those things are legitimate. So they can play that up, and it's a real positive, yet they can still go ahead and begin the search for a new coach. And – while you may never be 100% guaranteed that somebody might not say something or do something inappropriate, you should have that covered in the termination agreement. So you're going to get 18 payments starting December 15th at Orgeron Will that's going to pay him the rest of his contract after he's completed his regular paychecks through the rest of this season. So it's a pretty good deal. He can walk away with an $17 million, 16.987, I believe. $17 million, right at that. <clears throat> so if you 
for those of you who may not have heard, there was a press conference on Sunday night. So this was, again, new. And after we had, I had done my show yesterday or done this special edition. At the press conference, <clears throat> Scott Woodard um, was asked, um, or excuse me, there was question to Ed Orgeron posed regarding did the off the field issues cause this problem and do you think this caused your firing? And and Scott Woodward, I mean, did everything but practically reach over the table and said that this had nothing to do with anything off the field. This was strictly an on the field decision. Well people look at that and say, hey, it hadn't it you know, it had to have something to do. If all of this mess off the field didn't matter, then, you know, you, you, you certainly would move forward. Folks, let me explain again. It's something that if you think about and you don't, I know, but behind the scenes, again, Title IX investigation, two other major investigations that are going on. You cannot, as the athletic director or president of the university, say anything about well, we're firing them for off-the-field issues. I mean, you know, now you basically put on record that there was something there that was worth termination. You know, so when you're under investigation and you say, um, we didn't know anything about that, and you've got no evidence to prove that you did. But wait a minute, didn't you fire him for off-the-field issues? He wanted to make sure it was clear. Fight nothing on the field. In fact, it was love, Ed. We're good friends. It's just not good enough on the field, not to our standards. Well, of course, that is true. He is not lying. What he's leading out is that all the stuff off the field contributed to the turmoil, to the lack of chemistry, to the lack of organization that affected and bled onto the field. So he just didn't tell you the whole story. But that's the reason for that. They just want to keep it in a very clean way, keep him close to the vest, celebrate him going forth. They even put in the contract that he needs to make appearances up to once a year. Well, they're not going to make an appearance, but let's say they have a reunion for the 2019 team. They're going to be celebrating that national championship team for years, bringing them back. And, you know, sure they'll do it on a day that Joe Burrow has a bye week in the NFL or when he's retired one day, they're going to be bringing all those guys back. Well, they, they want him to be able to come back and so they'll put it into where he, he needs to come back, yada, yada, yada. So those and, – and he will. I'm not saying you got to put it in contract so he does. But then he's tied to, quote, unquote, not basically go off the rails and make statements or do things that would be detrimental to the university. And he gets that. He understands that. In layman's term, you play nice. You get your 17 mil. That's all you need. And then you can do what you want, where you want, how you want. 
and we're clean, you're clean, and that's that. The alternative is fight him in court. The lawyers get rich. It's a negative bloodbath. You know he's going to fight, and it gets ugly, and it's going to bring all sorts of stuff when you get deposed about this and that. Oh, yeah, I did that, and oh, by the way, they knew that, and let me tell you what this one did and that one did, and it is a three-ring circus. Who's going to want to coach for that? And the new coach, whoever it is, is going to have to deal with that. It sets the organization back, the football operations, the university, the PR. It puts a nightmare. We've seen what a nightmare has been on that campus due to the Title IX investigation. At least that's somewhat calmed down because people are bitching about the football team. But can you imagine if it just you just open wounds and again as it was described to me, this could be bloody. Why do we want to make it bloody? We want to make it just walk out, celebrate 2019, celebrate what he did do, recognize by letting him go that it's not good enough without having to say he did all of this and he did all of that off the field. And um, <clears throat> the other thing, look, I don't get into the salacious stuff. And I know I've said there's stuff off the field. That's documented a lot of things. I do think it's a little bit distasteful that a lot of the media is piling on now when they could have reported a lot of this stuff a lot earlier, and they didn't do it. It's almost like they're working as a PR form of the school of how we're going to present this. Look, I can't tell you what happened at a gas station um, in an encounter with a woman. I can't tell you with 100% what happened here or there. Neither can anyone else. But there's enough there that is corroborated that was under investigation that the Title IX is looking into where there are things that we'd be naive to say, oh, Ed would never do that. His behavior would suggest, well, I wouldn't put it past him. But can it be corroborated? I cannot, and I'm not going to get into that. But let me give you an example. You're going to have some things, as I said before, there will probably be 100 stories coming out about Ed. 50 might be true, 25 might be exaggerated, and 25 might be false. But it's going to be kind of a, let me tell you what I heard, because that's kind of the way it works in the deep south with their football team. Everybody's tied to, I know somebody who knows this. I don't listen to anybody. If I don't get it firsthand, it doesn't matter. Let me give you an example of something that has come out. You've probably read about it. Ed Orgeron brought his girlfriends and girlfriend's kids to practice, and they were participating in drills. Not entirely true. Girlfriends were at practice. There were kids there. They were not participating while practice was going on. After practice, before practice, throwing the football, those things, yes. Um, it's, you know, I don't know if I want to use the word common. It's happened quite a bit where assistant coaches will bring their folks, their 
family, their kids, and they'll do that before and after practice. Is it really common to have, you know, be a single guy and have girlfriends and multiple kids? No, that's, that is in poor taste. So that's not good. I'm not letting them off the hook for that. But, hey, how about this to get some clicks? We'll talk about how they were running drills. After practice, they would maybe send them drills and throw them routes and things like that. Not during practice. That's an exaggeration. And anybody that kind of knows what went on there knows that. But it, it makes it a better story if you exaggerate. Just an example. So, anyway, um, that's kind of where that is. Uh, question here. Hey, Joe Foten, do you think the Tigers should look at Barry Odom? He has the defensive mindset to bring LSU back to the DBU days. Uh, I do not, no. Um, a, Barry's a good coach. Barry was not successful at his alma mater. Um, the, the issue at LSU, they've got a great defensive back coach. They need somebody who's a proven head coach, a leader, a winner. Um, Barry's not qualified for what they're looking for. Uh, good coach like Barry. Um, I think certainly as a defense coordinator, he's done a nice job. And I do think he's capable of getting another shot at a head coaching job somewhere, at a place as prestigious as LSU, no. Um, and, and he wouldn't really be the guy to the, – the issue with bringing back DBU, I think Corey Raymond's done a really good job of that. Now, whether Corey survives with the new coach, I don't know. But D, not being DBU has not been the problem over there. They've got the problems that I've alluded to. So um, – The rest of college football, and I want to wrap this as I've got to jump on the air with SEC football and beyond in just a second. <laughs> Pardon me. <clears throat> Georgia was dominant again. More on that uh, in SEC football and beyond. Uh, Purdue's always had success against Iowa. Always is not true. Uh, oftentimes. One of the keys that I consistently see there is the fact that Purdue can work outside the numbers with their pass routes. And, you know, Iowa was down one of their, well, one of their best corners. And I thought they worked outside the numbers very, very well and made enough big plays in Iowa, as I've explained before in the Big Ten show, is they are not explosive enough. They don't make enough plays in the passing game. They're not good enough offensively to get in that type of matchup. And that's why I've said they're a good team. They have to play elite defense, and they're going to have to create short fields for their offense to have a lot of success. Um, Texas flows another lead. Oklahoma looks better. I'm going to talk Ole Miss uh, a couple of things with Oklahoma before because I'm going to – I can hit some of this in the SEC show. Oklahoma – clearly looks different with Caleb Williams. I, I am curious to see how their passing game develops, but their run game is going to be a lot better. And I'm curious to see where they go from here on out and how this uh, team develops. And I've got Kansas this week, which is going to be easy, but going forward, it's going to be interesting. Baylor's doing a nice job. Oklahoma State's good team. Not that I expect Oklahoma to lose those games. I do not. Iowa State is going to bring a different challenge. There's no question. Um, so those are the issues. Um, you know, things are 
or a um to me progressing in a positive way and i do think although they, although they didn't play ohio state um is playing a lot better and i i was looking at it and i still after looking at the film i i'd still put alabama second i'd put oklahoma and ohio state all ahead of cincinnati and i like what this Cincinnati team is doing. I'm going to get into the Ole Miss-Tennessee drama late game. I'm going to talk about Florida and Florida's problems because that is maybe the lesser told story, at least as it relates to Ed Orgeron and um, the LSU situation. But there's obviously some issues there with Florida. We're going to get into that. Um, but uh, I'm going to – Answer here. Hey, uh, Joe Fo 10 says in 2015, Missouri players protested racial attacks on campus. In 2017, Euphrates got caught hiring prostitutes. And now in 2021, we have the LSU allegations. Why is it the media uh, only covers bad situation of schools when teams are losing? Well, I think it's because it's a, uh, a way to sell the firing, if you will, if you feel like you need to. I think I think people I think the media covers bad things all times. I think when you're in a college town, there's a tremendous amount of pressure. Like if you're a beat writer or something, and you have shows or whatever, it is very provincial. And if you go against that school, you're going to lose advertisers. You may lose your job. So a lot of that gets suppressed. But when things go bad. And they're trying to justify we're going to fire this guy. They kind of, go ahead, all you want. You can have all of that because you know it makes. Hey, look! Oh man, he went winning. Oh, and look, you know he did A, B, C, D, and E. That's why it's done. Let's not let's not kill ourselves. Look, you freeze was doing pretty well at Ole Miss. Then he got caught with that, and that was tremendously embarrassing. Look, 2015, you had the protests, the racial attacks, those are problems. Sometimes the problems lead to issues. For Ed Orgeron, the Black Lives Matter, his having his political views that were opposite of what his players obviously felt, and that created a division. If you don't think that you lose a lot of trust and a lot of faith and a lot of respect for your coach in the way he handled it because they addressed it with him and he kind of blew them off. That, again, that is where, in some cases, the off-the-field issues lead to divisions in the organization with staff, with players. How many minority assistant coaches do you have? So when you say, look, if you're going to support a political candidate and you're a head coach of an NFL team, who does that? It's not none of anybody's business who you support. You're not the only one that supported a candidate. But when you make it known and the majority of your players and maybe half of your coaching staff is going to have a differing view and they come to you and say, we got a problem with your stance and how you're doing this and you're, we think you're being insensitive. And he blows you off, then that basically there's a respect factor. There's a division. There's, there's, a, there's a lack of respect that takes place. Look, you have a right to your opinion. But you are subjugated to the repercussions of how people view that opinion. And you got to live with that opinion. 
and you're going to have to face the people that may not respect the fact that in their eyes you're not respecting them. So you have to deal with that. So this happens in a lot of those cases, but that's a really good question, a really good point. Hey, some quickly some game balls, some things that jumped out at me. I thought Matt Corral and Caleb Williams were great um, at quarterback. Tyron Davis Price, speaking of LSU, was outstanding. Charles Williams of UNLV was great. David Bell of Purdue, uh, Quentin Johnson of TCU were great. Tight end Brock Bowers, who's really more of a receiver for Georgia, was outstanding. Um, I thought the offensive line. I thought Tyler Smith of Tulsa, Ed Ingram of, of LSU, Mike John Michael Smith of Minnesota, um, Kobe Ragland of UAB, and Osiris Torrance of Louisiana Lafayette really stood out. On the offensive line, Jalen Carter was in Neil Jalen Carter of uh, Jalen Carter of Georgia and Neil Farrell of LSU with the most impressive defensive tackles. I thought George Kalafatis was unblockable. Uh, the Purdue edge rusher, Kayvon Thibodeau as well. Uh, Bryce Gallagher of Northwestern played well. Leo Chanel of Wisconsin had a really good game. I thought Colby Bryant at the corner from Cincinnati was really good this week. Thought Mario Goodwich played well at Clemson. Jordan Battle was great. Will Anderson was great for Alabama. Jordan Battle was as well. Uh, those are some of my um, game balls. I would say Tyron Davis Price of LSU, David Bell of Purdue, Matt Corral of Ole Miss were my offensive players. Will Anderson, Jordan Battle were the defensive players of the week. I'm going to give the nod to Purdue again as player of the week. I thought Jeff Grimes had an unbelievable game plan. Uh, give him offense coordinator of the week from Baylor. Uh, defensively, Jim Knowles done a great job at Oklahoma State. It's a defensive coordinator. Freshman, got to go with true freshman. Caleb Williams was outstanding again. Brock Bowers is so good again. How about the Auburn offensive line? How about Auburn, period? Great job by that group. So, hey, folks, listen, um, got on a little bit late. We got a lot in. Join me at the top of the hour with Dan Matthews. We're going to go SEC football and beyond. Probably not going to get into much of the LSU stuff. We're going to get into the game breakdowns because you can go back and listen to the whole issue of how things played out in the LSU situation in my yesterday's show and in this show, Scout's Eye. So appreciate you joining us. Talk to you in a bit. Top of the hour, we'll take your questions. Appreciate you, everybody. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.